there's ETFs that are available in the Aussie market that are domiciled in Australia. Right. And then there are certain ETFs that are available to buy, for example, VTS, which are domiciled yep. in other geographies. So VTS right. is in the US. Um, right. You could buy it on the Aussie market, but it's the, the, the treatment of tax is very different. So if right. you were to look at the Aussie listed, Aussie domiciled ETFs, so they could be investing into any geography. It doesn't matter. But for the end user, um, the dividends are going to be in Aussie dollars. Um, the the taxation is as if you were investing in an Aussie share. And we're live. On today's show, we have a blogger from the Financial Independence blog, Two to Fire. The bloggers go by the name Mr. Fireball and Mrs. Fiery Ice. And today we've got um, Mrs. Fiery Ice on the show to speak to us um, about financial independence. So um, great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank, thank you, George. Hi, it's really good to be on the show. And hello to the listeners as well. So um, first thing I want to ask is, you know, how did you come up with the name? Are you, uh, you know, it has sort of like a Game of Thrones <laughs> It um, does. feel to it like fiery eyes. Yeah. Um, is that where you got the um that was the inspiration? That was the inspiration. You you got it on pretty well. So um we've always been Game of Thrones fans until of course the last season came out and it ruined it all for everyone. Yeah, true. <laughs> true that. But it just it just went down, all downhill from there. It did, it did. And then and then the last episode was like the nail in the coffin. Like Yeah, it was like what? <laughs> why did we watch it for so many years and it was just gonna be this? And I, I remember I read yeah. all the books as well. I mean not whatever books had come out. Yeah. Um yeah. and I was like super into the show, super into the um the whole genre. And, yeah. and, and yeah, that, that was the inspiration for the names. And we were actually thinking of finding a blog name, which was called Fire and Ice, just to go with yeah. the whole theme. But it was taken yeah. thanks to George R.R. R. Martin and the song of Fire and uh, Ice. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So you went <laughs> but, for the next best thing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, um, we tried to find what suited sort of our situation, but we kept yeah. the names because we still wanted to have that um that interesting sort of you know naming going going on there so it's cool it's it's a cool touch you know you know it's um yeah I liked it I liked it thank you fireball and fiery ice (laughs) (laughs) that and and there was another sort of um reason behind it so so Mr. Fireball he's he's -hmm. he's a go-getter so for him he's always on fire really so to say so he's like you know rolling Mm -hmm. around on fire putting every everything else on fire as well and I'm more more like a laid-back person so fiery eyes to me was like a substance that that's it's it stays there it's not on fire until something lights it up so so to me it was and, and that's how you know the whole fire thing started with us because um, Mr. Fireball started it first. He got into it. He started reading a lot of fire material, yeah, and and, yeah. and he brought me in on this. And and you know we then started looking at this together. So, so it just sort of from from the genesis, you know, origins. It just made sense to me. That's cool. That's cool. And um, did you want to take us a little bit about uh, you know into your background and um, you know how you came to be passionate about investing and financial independence? 
Sure. So, um, Miss, we, the both of us, we moved to Australia about two, two and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, Mr. Fireball is a finance. He's an he's an analytics person in a startup, and I'm a, um, I'm into corporate finance. Uh, so I do have a finance background, and we've had about um, ten years of working life before we got to Australia. So we'd done quite a lot of, you know. Um, buy your first car, buy your first house sort of stuff. Um, and then when we came here, um, we didn't want to get caught up in the same grind all over again. It was it was a good it was a it was a way for us to sort of start afresh. Um, and that's how we looked at it. And um, and coincidentally, um, this whole fire, uh, so financial independence, retire early um, a team came to the front and it, it sort of made sense to us because that's what we were really looking for at the end of the day. We didn't want to get caught up in the whole hamster wheel of just working, spending, you know, and 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 it, it was that that sparked it all. Um and, and we read uh read up quite a lot of material uh from veteran um bloggers. And and that sort of helped us uh, think through how we wanted to approach it, and it it made it all more approachable, really. I mean, because gotcha. otherwise you just think, you know, that it's it's hard. You've got to invest. You've never done it before. Uh, yep. You don't have a strategy. So it, just reading all of those um, blogs helped help narrow it down for us quite a bit. Moving on from there, um, I've read a little bit about your uh, investing strategy. So. Um, you know, I know that you um, hold on to, you know, a, a mixture or a diversified portfolio of uh, gold, cash, bonds, uh, REITs, and stocks. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, yeah, uh, where did you get this uh, particular breakdown? It 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 looks familiar. Like it mirrors a lot of like the um, breakdown, a lot of like the professional managed funds, yeah. um, you know, um, especially over in the U.S., um, so yeah, I was curious to know where uh, you got, you know, some of these, um, you know, strategies and breakdown from. Sure. Um, so I'd I'd like to say that we started when we started investing. It was it was more Mr. Fireball who started investing with the Robo Advisor, um, and that was that was the beginning of it. Where he 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 just said, you know, I want to be a passive investor. Um, can I find the best Robo Advisor out there who's not so expensive? And and he just started, and that sort of helped us look at how how those robo advisors were building their portfolio because it helped us um understand how they were breaking it down uh what was what were their ratios looking like with regards to uh, you know defensive assets versus shares um and then uh when 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 it came to me uh and we act so with with him it was just small change investing in the robo advisor i had a lot of savings sitting in my bank account and i wasn't really convinced about what to do with with all of that money mm-hmm. um and and with fire coming along and we yep. we read up a little bit of that and 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 a lot of other you know um, material from brokerage houses etc and we decided that because we want uh we're in our mid-30s so we decided we wanted to go with the sort of a high growth portfolio and that's how we split it up 80 percent in shares and 20 percent in defensive assets that's the target i mean it's a moving target we're we're off it sometimes uh, and on it some other times, but but we started with 80% shares and 20% offensive assets. We've read up a lot of material where some bloggers um, say that you should be 100% into shares. Um, we're, 
we're naturally a little bit more risk averse than than that. So we can't really just go 100% into shares. And we wanted a bit um, offset sort of sitting into bonds or gold um just just to have it just to just to have a little bit of peace of mind so to say just um because because they normally sort of go in opposite directions they're inversely correlated to each other um and 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 yeah i mean that probably reduces your overall returns but in the longer term i think it just it's it's better for the peace of mind so so that's that's how we we structured that um and and then with all of these we wanted to get into etfs um because the they're less time consuming, much simpler. There's a lot of inherent diversification that comes with ETFs. Um, and the management fee is much lower compared to other managed funds, LICs, etc. Uh, and we definitely didn't want to be doing any stock picking because um that that's a different ball game altogether. Um so so we decided that we were gonna go with ETFs. We had a certain split in terms of shares and defensive assets, and then it was just a question of figuring out how we wanted to split up the the eighty percent, which was going to go into shares, and then how yep. we were going to split up the rest of the twenty percent, which was going to go into defensive assets. Um, with shares, um, we decided to go uh, like I was saying, one third invested in in the Aussie market, one yep. third invested in the US, um, yep. and then one third in emerging markets. Yep. Um, with of course being in Australia, we wanted to have a stake here. But the Aussie market by um, market capitalization is a very small part of the overall global market capitalization. Yeah. It's just 2%. Um, yeah. And it's very heavy, heavily leaning on um, uh, financials and materials. So it made sense for us to be open to, you know, uh, looking at global um, global shares, global assets, specifically in the US, because that gives you access to a lot of tech stocks, et cetera, which you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I know that um, you said in one of your interviews that, um, you know, in your portfolio, um, I think in the last, was I don't know if it's the last quarter or last year, but some of your best uh, performing assets is actually the gold um, yeah. assets within the fund and the worst is actually the um, the global sort of REIT uh, real yeah. estate portfolio. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd like to. Oh, so, um, no, I was go just going to ask. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on you know what you thought about like you know the current you know economic environment around the world because I know you follow it you know based yeah. off your blogs I know you follow it uh, pretty closely like you've got an idea about you know what's going on around the world um, you know given that sort of you know gold uh, defensive asset is performing really well yeah. and um, you know governments all around the world seem to be printing a lot of money um, yeah I'd just like to get your thoughts on the current sort of environment. Sure. Um, gold, I mean, and just, just for starters, for me, was an afterthought. I, I didn't, so when I, when I started building my portfolio and when I was looking at defensive assets, I went all in for bonds. Um, I didn't buy any gold. Um, but then uh, over, over time, there was, so before coronavirus hit, because the markets had been on the highs uh, for about 10 years, everyone was projecting uh, a downfall. And and it was just you know everyone was saying it's just it's going to come and there's always naysayers right I mean every 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 year there's just new news about how bad it's going to be, um and and um and that that got me thinking um so in in times when things go bad, um especially in the current environment where interest rates have been much lower than they've been in quite a lot of decades in the past um it was it was just a logical thought that yields will probably go 
down further because that's how bank that's how central banks have been trying to you know um energize markets by bringing down interest rates so when i said central banks i meant are the rba or the fed and all they did reduce interest rates to be able to spur spending and, and that's how they increase consumption um and and gold was um it's it's an asset or gold or rather metals precious metals they assets that they they're limited and you know it's it's just a fallback it's probably the oldest fallback right gold i mean that yeah um so so i just thought i'd buy some yeah and, for sure and, <laughs> and i did i just bought a little bit uh, even though mr fireball who has gold in his portfolio kept telling me i don't need to buy anything cuz he has it but i i was like no i'm going to buy it i i don't care um so i so i ended up buying some gold and and when coronavirus hit and and the shares plunged and they plunged like 30% um their worst um that's when i saw uh, gold actually balancing a lot of my portfolio it would have been like super red and it would have given me sleepless nights but i think with gold being in there um it was helpful and and that's probably that's uh, it's interesting when you look at the markets today um and when we are talking about the macro environment um it's growth is slowed down quite a bit because of coronavirus and otherwise as well i think um a lot of countries have been struggling with growth uh, over the past few years which is the reason the interest rates have been super low and they've been going lower um but the share markets don't really reflect that so if you look at the share markets <clears throat> they they grow and they've been growing and they've been at their peak this year so 2020 has been the the, the year that asx has seen as seen its peak s&p 500 has seen its peak um so it, it's it's sort of counterintuitive quite a lot of times when you when you see some news and you think the markets should not rise or they're overvalued and but they do rise and that probably comes from the fact that there's not really a lot of invest investment avenues in in our mind um the real estate's not doing really well um and um that bonds have negative yields or almost zero yields um so that doesn't really leave much other than share, other than the share market and a lot of new investors have come into the share market as well when they were super low um a couple of months ago so they they keep the, the markets keep going up but the growth is subdued which is the reason when you look at gold and bonds you also see that they're going up as well so it's like everything's going up <laughs> i i do think that growth's going to stay stay subdued for the next couple of years but um before it before it springs back perhaps okay well um you know going into a little bit about you know the three the breakdown of you know the sort of three regions of um ETFs um starting with australia um I'd like to get your thoughts on you know the australian economy um and um yeah you know like how you feel like the australian based ETFs are you know um have performed or are set to perform compared to you know um the US ETF and um emerging markets sure <clears throat> so with Aussie ETFs i think if you were to compare performance with other regions it's they generally very highly um um focused towards giving out distributions 
So, um, so in general, capital growth isn't so high with Aussie shares versus, okay. let's say, you know, US shares or even emerging market shares because yep. they, they they keep the dividends in and they sort of use that to grow versus the Aussie market, which is different. But yeah. that's great because we love dividends. Um, yep. So, um, it, I I think that um, it. We've not really seen a huge impact or an, or a huge negative impact of the of the COVID um, pandemic on distributions or dividends so far, uh, but but I do think that um, companies uh, are sort of being more careful, more judicious with how they how they use their money internally, etc. Um, growth is subdued. It's not so subdued. I think it's uh, Australia has done pretty well with regards to how they've handled the pandemic versus other countries who had to go into you know partial lockdowns. We've just had one one lockdown in Victoria, um, but otherwise, um, I think we've managed it pretty well. Yep. Gotcha. And and I think um, what you mentioned about like the um, dividends not taking too much of a hit um, is just, you know, due to like the ETF having, you know, a little bit in, you know, the banking, mining, um, like um, Woolworths, uh, telecommunications and things like that. Because I, yeah. um, I think the banking stocks did take a little bit of a hit, right, to they uh, did. the dividends. Um, but then yeah. the other, it sounds like the other um, sectors might have, you know, performed okay, which saved yeah. it. Yeah, I I think I think in general it wasn't as big a hit as everyone was expecting. Um, yep. It was it, it may have been um, yeah with banking I agree it was it was the the dividends were a little lower but otherwise I think all of these really are bellwether stocks so to say so um, banking mining and and in you know um, stores uh, supermarkets and uh, like you know Woolies Coles West Farmers yep. etc. Um, yep. So, um, and and the retail side, so the supermarkets have done really, really well, right? Because, I mean, they've seen a lot of more consumers coming in, buying off of the shelves because the, because everyone was working from home. We, we, we weren't going out to restaurants. We weren't going out to those small shops um, to get our, you know, everyday lunch. Um, so, um, so it's, it's, I think the economy has... Is the, the little mom and pop stores have suffered more than the big ones, and when we look at ETFs, it's it's not really reflective of the true nature of who's gotten affected because the bigger ones have actually sort of grown bigger, so to say, um, but the little ones are the ones who are probably on job seeker or, or you know uh, job keeper, all of those subsidies which are coming down. We, we don't really see that reflected in the stock market. Gotcha. So you got like the, yeah, like the real economy as they some people call it. And then you got like, yeah, the big corporations and the stock market, sort of the markets and things like that, a little bit separate from each other. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you're still pretty uh, reasonably uh, positive about, you know, Australia's, um, you know, stock market going forward in the future. Um, you know, um, did you have any thoughts, like, you know, just to name a few of concerns that some people um, have on investing in the Australian stock market, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, global warming and, yeah. um, you know, our reliance on sort of the mining sector and also some of the tensions with um, our trading partners like China, you know, going yeah. forward. Um, do these sort of dampen your, um, you know, your expectations or not really? Um, so there's, there's definitely concerns out of what's, you know, what's sort of coming through. We 
it's it's concerns not in the longer term but maybe in the shorter term i do think mm. that um it it depends on how it all pans out so for example um our dependence on mining um i i do think that um we're sort of we're lagging behind uh international counterparts in how we're yeah. sort of thinking about that with um a lot of countries even i mean at the latest was japan south korea and i think even china has come come out saying that they would want to go to net zero or carbon neutral um yeah. status uh, a carbon neutral status by 2040 2050 so they set targets for themselves um but here in australia we're, we're still talking about a gas led uh recovery yeah. which doesn't really fare well because if 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 globally um the uh, the other countries who are who are our consumers for coal exports and gas yeah. exports etc are, are moving away from it i mean we yeah. can't really it's it's just a hot air balloon for us at the moment so yeah. to say for sure for sure okay um now moving on to the us um you know the us has um you know been a site for a lot of investment all around the world in the past um these days um you know some people are a little bit concerned that it's you know over reliant on the super 6 so you know yeah. the fang stocks plus microsoft um and that is a little bit overvalued um but then people still you know uh, like investing in the us because you know the super 6 um are such great companies um yeah what are your thoughts on you know the us going forward are you you know still reasonably positive about the us stock market as well um so the us stock market i think lately has been pretty volatile with what's been going on there with regards to elections um it's uh yeah so but i i do think that in the longer term when it comes to tech companies which is basically what's led to all of the growth in the us in the past year i was looking at some um year to date growth numbers and and i was super shocked i mean i knew this but i still i still was super super shocked when i yep. realized that the nasdaq had actually grown 20% uh, yeah. year to date whereas dow jones industrials had only grown 2% So right. so I mean that's that's so it's very clear what sort of you know leading this growth wave there everything else is pretty subdued it's just the the tech stocks yeah. and like I said the fang which I, I I heard a new fangled there's always a new fangled acronym I heard fat man which includes tesla as well in there now oh, okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so yeah I mean I do I do think that the tech companies are go, are doing really well there's a lot of um and and there's a lot of potential with regards to valuations i would agree i think we tend to overvalue a lot of these companies especially you know like tesla in in the past um even even elon musk has said they were overvalued um but um yeah. i i do stay fairly positive i think the us is is the most powerful economy in the world and it's probably sure. going to stay that for many years to come it's yeah. it's a good it's 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 still a lot it's still a place where a lot of innovation is happening um sure. in tech healthcare so um you it's it's fairly i mean it's it's always a good idea to stay invested in the us to some extent okay yep and um i'd just like to get your thoughts on you know you know the massive money printing that's gone off uh, in the us especially lately um and you know the um subsequent a little bit of devaluation in the yeah. currency a lot of yeah. people are forecasting more devaluation in the future yeah. does yeah. that put a dampener on things for you or you're still you know net pretty positive about about the us going forward 
are, are you, are you, uh, yeah. are you worried about, you know, the currency depreciation and things like that or? Um, so with currency depreciation, it's just, it's, it's up and down, you know, really. Um, and I, uh, I generally keep a track of how the Aussie dollar is doing against the US dollar. And it's, yep. I, a few months ago, the Aussie dollar was on all time lows of yeah. about 60, 65 cents or 0.65. Yeah. And now it's it's doing pretty well at about 0.72, 0.73. Um, yeah. I, I, I do think that the US has been grappling with a lot of issues lately. Um, yeah. Growth, of course, being one of them, which has led to um, the Fed sort of constantly over time uh, reducing interest rates. Um, and then they're, they're grappling with the coronavirus issue. They've not, I, I think they've not really come to terms with it um, mentally, I mean, they don't yeah. think of it as an enemy, which is probably the reason that they're not shooting at it. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, and also uh, because of all of this, and and with the administration um, uh, in, in the transit that's supposed to, uh, uh, the transition that's supposed to happen, it's it's all a little um, out there, really. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do think that in the in the short term they should. They should stabilize a bit. The currency should stabilize. They they will stay one of the fiat currencies for a long time. I I think the only other contender that they have at the moment is China, who's you know yeah. who's sort of rearing its head as as being the other powerful economy in the world. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the US is here to stay at least for the next um couple of decades. Okay, great. And um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the emerging markets uh, economy, especially the Asian emerging markets? Um, pretty bullish. <laughs> um, and I am pretty bullish for, I think, one big reason, which is that the population that that lives in, in those areas is so huge. Uh, a lot of these people um, are just emerging out of, uh, you know, the lower classes into the middle class. The middle class is going, growing rapidly. Um, and there's a lot of untapped consumption there. And and really, I mean, our economies function on consumption. Um, the more you consume, the more you grow and the more you create. So it's it's that cycle. Um, and and I I do think there's a lot of there's there's a lot of untapped potential there, which is now starting to get tapped. Um, people are becoming more aware about what they want, um, that they can get a lot of things. A lot of a lot of these large companies are opening up to how much potential there is in China, India. China is one of the largest um, consumers. I think the largest consumer for luxury items in the world now. So um, um, yeah, so. It, it's 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 interesting how um how that that shift is happening in in perception um in in aspirations and and that's where i think um you know the the growth will come in and also they, these are educated middle classes so there's a lot of you know employment job opportunities that they're looking for good job opportunities so um, that can move and that have already moved, you know, from, so manufacturing has probably moved, most of the manufacturing has moved to China, a lot of services, jobs have moved to India. So there's, I, th- I think that that's where the, that's where the growth engine is going to be over the next maybe 50 years or so. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And, um, you know, China and some of the East Asian countries, especially after the, p- the pandemic, they've come out of it quite strong. Yeah. Um, they've emerged out of it like, you know, quicker than a lot of other countries um, around the world. Yeah. And um, some of these countries, they already, you know, had lower debt. 
compared to other countries and now the sort of differences like exacerbated yeah and um you know um i've recently heard that china's you know uh done a lot of trade deals like there's a lot of, you know a new trade deal that's gone on in the region as well yeah which is yep. you know like you know all part of that sort of picture yeah and i think china's also been able to sell a lot of their bonds as well so more and more countries are looking to you know like um yeah buying uh, you know chinese bonds and seeing china as a sort yeah. of like a um secure and stable sort of you know financial center Yeah, I agree. And I, I was, I was, I was just talking to Mr. Fireball about this bond issuance. Apparently, yep. there was so much demand that it became a negative yielding bond. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So the article that I read was saying that, um, you know, China's been uh, selling a lot of uh, negative bonds um, out there to Europe, and that just seemed crazy. I just couldn't believe what I read. I was like, um, why would anyone, you know, do that? But it just turns out that, you know, that's that's the world we live in. Like Europe um, has their bonds are even more negative. Okay, well, um, now that I've got your uh, thoughts on sort of, you know, the different regions around the world, um, um, I'm curious to know, like, you know, might your con contribution change in the future, you know, from going to like a third each to, you know, being, you know, possibly even a little bit more heavy towards the emerging markets? Or it's that's, hard to say at the moment. Um, that's definitely possible. We haven't really thought about it at the moment. Uh, we're, we're planning to stick to the one third each um split that we have have right now um but that said um uh, we're not really you know tied to anything so we, we would be happy to sort of move that shift it um it's just harder when when you started when you've invested a lot of corpus and because that one third it is like a really large sum of money so if you want to shift it takes a bit of time to shift um but but yeah i mean we're we're fairly flexible we we got and 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 that's how my experience has been over the over my investing journey with reits i think we you know, we mentioned it but we didn't really talk about it so real estate um we're not invested in real estate at all in australia yeah. so i was just sitting sitting down money i think i was doing yoga I was in yeah. a yoga class and I was just sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I don't have anything in real estate. Yeah. Um, and and then I, I just went um, and I bought some, you know, REITs, uh, DJREs was, was what I bought because I wanted yeah. to have more global exposure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, but it's been doing pathetically <laughs> over the past few months because again, you know, um, re retail's been doing really bad. Nobody's going into um, their offices, so so the renting rent the demand there is down. The rents there are down. Um, but but what I was sort of getting back to with flexibility was that over time we've come to realize we don't have this or we don't have that or for that for for that matter DGRE. Now I've stopped investing in it for a while. I'm going to sit and watch. So it's it's just it's 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 a game really. It's a game you play um, and you and you decide on how you want to change your strategy one day because things have changed. The environment's changed. So yeah, for it's sure. good to be flexible. Yep, for sure. And um, I wanted to ask um, about, you know, actually um, investing in um, ETFs, um, especially some of the fees um, yeah. associated with, you know, some of these international ETFs. And I'm actually quite curious about this because um, I'm predominantly a property investor, residential property investor, but, you know, uh, potentially slowly, you know, um, building a, a stock portfolio, like an ETF portfolio on the side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, first thing I want to ask is, um, which brokerage has the lowest fees at the moment? Um, I've heard yeah. good things about self-wealth, which, yeah. you know, a lot of people seem to use. Is that, yeah. is that the... 
It's so self wealth has been the lowest cost broker for a while in Australia, yeah. and they're pretty good. I use self wealth myself. Um, okay, yeah. Never really had any issues, but. What's interesting is, and probably this comes out of the US, so there's a lot of new uh, business models that are coming into the space. Um, So we've heard of um, a a company called Superhero who's coming in with $5 a trade. Self-health is $9.50 a trade. Um, And and then there's there's Perler who's come up, who's also $9.50 a trade, but they're looking at other ways of making it more interesting. So if you go in there and buy certain funds or certain ETFs, uh, they will not charge your brokerage. So they've tied up with a few fund houses to be able to offer that to their customers. So there's a lot yeah. of interesting things that are happening. Yeah. Um, and and I do think that there will be a brokerage war in the coming future because mm. the US has moved to zero dollar brokerages mm, with Robinhood. Right. And and I think um we will probably start getting inspiration from there as well and, and going that route. Um, but that said, I think it's, 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 it's important to minimize your, your brokerage fees, but yep. there's a lot of other things that come into the picture. So for example, um, you could, you could be with a robo advisor. There's certain robo advisors who buy ETFs and they don't sort of, um, so, when you buy an ETF, there's there's a yep. repository, and the, in in that repository will have your name against that ETF, and you own it with that repository. So even if the brokerage yep. house goes kaput, um, you still own those ETFs okay. somewhere in that repository. It's safe, okay. you know. Yep. But there's some other brokerages who will buy in their own name, and and they will give you a share. So you, if that brokerage goes down, you will not really own those ETFs. It's not your property. It's it's almost like you know, if I was to draw a parallel for real estate, it's like you you buy a house uh, through um, through through an agency, and you've got your name on it. Versus the agency buys it, and it you know says, okay, I've got five other people. I'm just going to give them little shares of the house, but the yeah. house is still in my name. So it's sort of like that. So yeah, okay. there's, there's there's a few of these nuances, but I think it's if you're starting out, it's easier to go with self wealth. It's tried, it's tested. Um, and then um, I think when a lot of these newer mark, uh, newer brokers come in, there's some testing that's happened on them. It's it's yep. probably then a good idea to look at okay. wanting to shift. Yeah. Great. And the next big thing that I wanted to ask about is taxes. And this is a confusing yeah. one. So yeah. uh, let's talk about capital gains tax first and then talk about dividends. There's ETFs that are available in the Aussie market that are domiciled in Australia. Right. And then there are certain ETFs that are available to buy, for example, VTS, which are domiciled yep. in other geographies. So VTS right. is in the US. Um, right. You could buy it on the Aussie market, but it's the, the, the treatment of tax is very different. So if right. you were to look at the Aussie listed, Aussie domiciled ETFs, so they could be investing into any geography. It doesn't matter. But for the end user... Um, the dividends are going to be in Aussie dollars. Um, the the taxation is as if you were investing in an Aussie share. So um, it's it, so when it comes to capital gains tax, because it's listed in in Aussie dollars in an Aussie dollar denomination in in ASX, um, it's fairly simple. It's just so when you exit from from that uh, when you redeem. Um, whatever your capital gains are, you just pay taxes at that point in time when you actually redeem. Um, the other point of taxation is uh, dividend distribution. 
So the Aussie domicile shares, when it comes to distributions, um, you there's no sort of tax deduction at source, so to say. Um, you will get those distributions. You could get them in your bank account or you could choose to reinvest them automatically. But um, for the purposes of um, ATO, when, you, when they tax it, they assume that it's a part of your income and it gets taxed. So when you lodge your returns at the end of the financial year, they will include that in your income. And if there's any net off, you just pay them the tax. So you don't have yep. to pay them quarterly or anything. You just pay okay. them at the end of the year when the you end, lodge. Once, once yeah. a year. Okay. So yeah. You get paid the dividends quarterly, but then you just add it all up. Yeah. And um, once, yeah, once a year. Kind That's of thing. right. That's Got right. It. Okay. Yeah. And if and you don't, then, so obviously, if you don't sell the shares, then you don't pay any tax. No, um, you you okay. you don't pay capital gains taxes, but capital you still taxes. pay taxes on your dividends. Gotcha. Because it's because gotcha. it's just it's assumed to be revenue that you've earned. Income and, and if you earned. and if you're in a dividend reinvesting scheme, do you still yeah. have to pay tax? You still do. You still have to. Yeah. Okay, so gotcha. the the benefit of the dividend reinvesting scheme, there's actually two pronged. One, you don't pay any brokerage on that little dividend that you get. Yeah. And then two, um, a lot of times the the price that these funds decide for reinvestment is better than the price that's in the market. So for example, let's say the ETF is trading at $100, but the uh, the fund will or the fund house will offer that they would reinvest it for you at $99. You get a $1 benefit, you know? So um so there's those two benefits of reinvesting and of course if you don't see the money, you don't spend it. So that's the third benefit. <laughs> so just moving on to the Aussie domiciled ones, I think quickly for uh, for an Aussie investor, it, there's no difference. There is no difference whatsoever. It's the it's the fund house that's going to deal with any sort of in any interregional tax issues, tax treaties, forex hedges. So so what the what the fund houses do is yep. because they've listed this ETF um, in Aussie dollars, and then they yep. will have to give out dividends in Aussie dollars. The forex risk is sort of immediately their risk. So they have to manage it. So dividends, again, is the same as an Aussie share. Is There's no difference. So if it's domiciled in the in, in Australia, it's there is just no difference at all when it comes to ah, okay. um, the consumer or the buyer. It's gotcha. the same as if you were investing in, let's say, you know, West Farmers or Westpac or whatever. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, dividends paid quarterly, you do it once a year. Yeah. Things like that. Okay, yeah. and and okay, so that moves on to the the next category. So let's say they're non-Aussie yeah. domiciled, yeah, um, and it's got a fund covering multiple countries. Um, yeah, what happens there? So um, if it's non-Aussie domiciled, it'll be let's say for example, let's take the example of BTS. Um, yeah. it, it is not a fund that covers multiple countries. It's it's the US, but I think it's an easy example to understand. Um, so it's domiciled in the US um, and it, it it has it's an ETF for US securities. Um, so what happens there is while you can buy a unit and it's not really an ETF unit, it's it's denominated differently on the Aussie stock exchange. It's not a unit like a typical ETF unit that is Aussie domiciled. It's called okay. differently. Um, yep. You can buy it in Aussie dollars, but uh, it'll trade in Aussie dollars. But when it sent, when it gives you a dividend, it'll be in US dollars. So when so whatever the exchange rate is on on that particular date, they will just deposit Aussie dollars into your bank account corresponding to that. So you're always open to exchange rate risk there because 
you don't know how what it's going to be it it could be like really low one day when you get the dividend the next day it goes it goes four up times, or whatever four times a year right so it just depends on what um, day, uh, when it, that that day or? it's it's actually it varies it's not always four times a year sometimes it's you know semi annually it it depends oh. on on when the underlying companies give out dividends so in the us and in other countries where you know they're not so dependent on issuing issuing out um dividend distributions they sometimes do it semi annually in in the aussie market you know there's there's a trend there's a bigger trend of giving out dividend distributions so they they like to do it like more quarterly so it 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 could be that you just get it twice a year gotcha. um gotcha. yeah and on top of the currency risk in terms of dividends, I think yeah. you were saying in one of your blog articles that um, to register, you need to register for tax with some yes. paperwork. Yes, you you need to fill out a form, uh, yep. especially for the Aussie uh, for the for the US market. There's a form that's called yep. I think eighty eight W R E N or something like that. Yeah, uh, you got to fill it out. Um, yep. th- that's 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 because so with can between countries there, there's treaties on how they tax um income so for example if um i've invested in a stock in the us and they've uh, i'm a aussie tax resident um they uh, if i fill out that form they will deduct um a withholding tax of 15% when they give me a distribution a dividend distribution versus if i hadn't filled that form out they would have deducted 30% um and then when i get that dividend in and then when i file it in my aussie tax lodgement um i can take the benefit of that uh tax that was deducted by the us government um of whatever 15% from the taxable income that i pay so it's it's not that you lose anything it's just that there's paperwork and there's you know t- ticking and tying of what came when etc so it's just yeah. a little more work Gotcha. And how does this work if there's multiple countries? <laughs> let's say there's a fund oh, and there's like ten countries. Question. Let's say let's yeah. say it's not Aussie domiciled and there's a fund covering ten countries. Yeah. You know, America, yeah. Europe, Pacific, yeah. all that. So you got to fill out ten sets of forms. I don't think so. I would think that if if it's if it's um, uh, ETF that covers ten countries, it would still be domiciled in one country. So okay. Okay. so so for example, if I'm Vanguard. Um, and I'm US based, and I want to do an ETF which is, let's say, Asia focused, and I want to invest in China, India, Taiwan, you know, different countries. Um, I would still be US domiciled. So, um, for 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 an Aussie investor buying into that US domiciled fund, it's no different to, you know, buying uh, an ETF which is a US focused ETF. So it's it's just about where it's domiciled. But uh, the bigger problem would arise if if i wanted to buy into etfs that are domiciled in different places so if i bought an etf that's aussie domiciled and i bought an etf that's in the us and i bought another one in the uk that's when i would have to fill out like multiple forms because i'm deciding to do that different domicile you know put purchases um so then it's on me but if the if the fund decides to to do it it's easier for me i don't have to do Got all it. of that sounds much easier yeah okay <laughs> and um um, how does the accountant charge uh, each of these? Because um, I know that you know for every investment property um, that you have, when you go for a tax return, the accountant will charge more. Yeah. I assume that if you have, uh, you know, say you got your job, and then you um, have a share portfolio, the accountant will charge a little bit more as well. 
um, do they do they charge a lot more? Um, so frankly, we haven't used accountants to date. Um, um, and the reason we've not, we've been able to manage without it is because at the end of the year, when you have to file your taxes, all of your, uh, ETF fund houses will come back with a proper tax statement. Um, and you can, it's, it's fairly simple. It's, it's, they've, they'll have proper like denominations, heads, and you can just go into your, uh, into your tax uh, form and just fill those out. The tax form anyway is already automatically filled out because they provide all of this information to the ATO um, directly. So we haven't had to do that yet. Um, um, and another another tool that I know people use is ShareSite. Um, they've got um, they've got a, a very elaborate sort of uh, tax form that sort of combines all of your ETFs, and you don't have to you you don't even have to do like a plus minus. It's just you know like copy paste. So um, it's I think using these tools, especially if you're if you're more confident about doing your taxes and you're not if if it's not too complicated, um, it's it's always better to do your own taxes. I think. Um, but of course, if it goes beyond a certain level of complication, it's always good to get a, get an advisor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. For myself with the investment properties, I basically do it all myself. And then the accountant just uh, double checks it and signs off at the end. So like uh-huh. I actually do like 80% of the work and it's just better to know where, where exactly where your money's going and understand That's it. That's true. I completely That's understand. Um, okay. Well, um, you know, you've given, you know, such a great discussion. You've given us, you know, so much great information um, in wrapping up. Uh, what's one piece of advice that you would give to a newbie when it comes to investing in ETFs? Um, I think the first would be um, not to be afraid. You know, I think a lot of new new investors. I mean, even if it's not EDF, but just starting with investing, there's there's a there's a level of um, there's this fear um, because of course you're delving into the unknown. So not to be afraid is one, and then two is to do really good research. Um, it's always good to find uh, ETFs that one, I mean, they, uh, they, they stack up to your strategy of where you mm. want to invest. Two, yeah. how big are they? I like um, ETFs yeah. that have lots of funds under management. Sure. And three, um, the cost of, so the management fees have to be, have to make sense. So it's um, it, the cheaper the ETF, the better, but do not ignore returns that they've provided in the past. So it's always a, it's always a, a combination of factors. So if if an ETF is cheap, but they haven't given good returns, don't buy it maybe. Great, great. Okay. And um, what should the audience look out for, you know, coming out in um, the rest of the year in 2021 in regards to your blog? That's a good question. Um, I think we will continue covering um, our journey, uh, our learnings, but another another piece that I've started developing a lot of interest in is the the psychological side of investing because sure. um it's it's not just it's not just logic it's there's there's a lot of emotion that goes into sure. investing and that's something that I'm, I'm I'm wanting to delve into a bit more so um hoping to write more about that side of things as Psychology. well Psychology. yeah so yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah I'll be looking out for it um you, you got great blog articles so far so I'm personally a big fan so Thank um you. there you have it guys uh two to fire um check out their uh, blog to learn about investing, um, especially in ETFs in the stock market. Um, Mrs. Fiery Ice, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. And thank you guys for tuning into today's show. Uh, Please keep an eye out for future episodes. Thank you, George. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. 